We are back here on the Falcons Audible. We've got DJ Shockley. We've got Dave Archer. I'm Derek Rackley. We're going to talk about all things Atlanta. We will recap the loss last week in Nashville. Falcons fall 28-23 to to the Tennessee Titans. Or you could call them the Houston Tennessee Oilers from last weekend because they were giving a shout-out to their past there. Um, here's what we've got on the slate for the podcast today. We will discuss the impact of the Grady Jarrett injury. Tough one for the Falcons to swallow. Talk about some players that did step up last week and then others that need to step up in light of some injuries that have gone down. Atlanta actually been very healthy over the past few weeks. And then we will talk about what Atlanta will be facing as they return home to face the Minnesota Vikings. So, fellas, let's go get into it. Um, we're going to talk about the game, but I think one of the bigger stories coming out of it here, Arch, is the impact of Grady Jarrett going down. Uh, been kind of Mr. Falcon here since he came in 2015. If my numbers are correct, he's missed three regular season games. 135 out of 138 since he joined the team in 2015. And with the ACL injury, he will be out for the remainder of the season. So I guess I'll start kind of generic here in Arch and let you go where you want with this one. But what kind of loss is this to the Atlanta Falcons team and the defense? Well, I mean, it's immense loss. I mean, obviously we're all, as as fans, we'll look to game day and how Grady affects the game, uh, his ability to eat up a couple blocks. Normally one of the most double-team players. I think if you go look at the numbers, the Aaron Donalds and Grady Jarrett's of the world out there, he's one of the most double-team players in the National Football League. And so that's what he's had to fight his entire career on game day. And we see his ability to still affect the game. Um, but I think I think we're going to feel it maybe even more in what he does from Monday through Saturday from a leadership standpoint yeah. on his team. This guy's relentless work ethic is phenomenal. I mean, the guy, um, every day is a new day. Every day is a new day for him to prove that he is who he is. And maybe it's because he was a fifth-round draft pick and nobody thought he was big enough to play the defensive tackle position in this league. And he just had to prove himself every day. And so he takes that mantra and carries that out every day here. And uh, he's gracious to everybody that works in the building and then works his rear end off in practice. And that translates to other guys. And if you've got young players, which this team's got a ton of young dudes on the offensive side of the ball, there are yeah. some on the defensive side too, that's the example you want to set. Do what that dude's doing. <laughs> yeah. And so now you don't have him out there. And, and there are some other guys that work – uh, at a high level, but you said it. Grady is the face of this franchise. You shall not pass. We'll be back, but um, we're going to miss him, obviously, on game day, but I think you're going to miss him as much during the week as well. And, DJ, it's not one of those deals, and never, really, I wouldn't say this just with Grady Jarrett or in the National Football League. I mean, basically any level you're at, when you have a star player, it's not like you just point at somebody and say, that's the guy that has to step up. To Arch's point, as far as leadership, maybe somebody not going to be able to fill the true void of Grady Jarrett, but they do have a guy in Calais Campbell that I think immediately demanded respect um, in leadership when he joined this organization. David Onyemata has been around the league for a long time, has been respected for what he has done on the defensive line. And, of course, Atlanta makes a trade on Monday to bring over Contavia Street to kind of bulk up the defensive line rotation. What do you think this means when Jarrett goes out for the rest of the season? I think it, I think you mentioned a good point of uh, Calais as uh, I was sitting outside before uh, our podcast and, uh, you know, I text our producer, Sam, and he obviously left me on red and then let me in. <laughs> I text uh, my man Derek Rackley over here. He left me on red, obviously. So 
I mean, oh, you I, did and text then, me, and, my and, bad. And then I called Arch. I mean, while I was waiting outside, Calais you comes. Had, you had time to reflect. I had time to reflect, <laughs> and Calais walks by, and, um, you know, I don't think we met, you know, like that. And, you know, I just introduced myself to him. He stopped, you know, asked how I was doing, you know, what was going on. And, you know, it's just him passing on a, on a random Tuesday. And he just talked about the kind of guy he is. You know, he could have just kept walking or he could have, you know, say, hey, I got to get in and get some treatment, whatever it is. Yeah. But I think it, it allows him to fully take over, I think, that role as the captain of now this defensive team as well as his offensive team. And I think the great thing about it was even though Calais has come in and he's been that guy, been around the league for, you know, 15-plus years, he came in and said this was Grady Jarrett's team. And he didn't try to come over and try to, you know, take over for uh, a guy who's been here. And now with the loss of Grady, not having him on the field, uh, obviously I think it kind of boosts his – uh, value for this team going forward because of where he's been and what he's done. So I, I think Calais is one of those guys who absolutely will kind of help that role and having a guy like of his caliber to come in when you lose a guy like Grady, I think it's going to speak volumes for this team going forward. They've developed depth on the defensive line. And Arthur Smith said it yesterday. It's like we're not looking at one person. This is going to be a collective effort. Like everybody's going to have to step up their level of play. And I would even add that it's not just on the defensive line. Like you could be a linebacker. You could be Bud Dupree, Lorenzo Carter coming off the edge. You could be Caden Ellis in the middle. You could be Jesse Bates and Richie, Richie Grant in the secondary. And everybody just needs to step their level of play up a little bit more because maybe the trickle-down effect of not having somebody like Grady swallowing up an extra double team at the line means one extra offensive lineman to work up to the next level to and, and all those things kind of pile on top of themselves yeah. so everybody just needs to play a little yeah. bit better but I'm sure the vocal leader that Grady is he'll still talk to the team and you got Calais Campbell when he speaks the team listens and everybody's just going to have to do a little bit more to replace the production and maybe not even so much in the stat column because Grady doesn't necessarily get the credit that he deserves in the stat column mm-hmm. for the amount of havoc that he provides on the defensive line so who is it going to be? Only time will tell on that one. But they have developed some depth on that defensive line. So, guys, let's talk about the matchup this past weekend. Atlanta falls by five points in Nashville, 28-23. Arch, will come back to you. Obviously, one of the biggest stories of this game was starting quarterback Desmond Ritter came out of the game, was evaluated for concussion symptoms, and then they brought in Taylor Heineke. The, the news was that Desmond Ritter was cleared, but Arthur Smith made the decision as a as a head coach to say we're just going to go ahead and stick with Taylor the way that things were going. Um, so there's been a lot of discussion about that. One thing I will say, as of the taping of this podcast, we're still waiting on Arthur Smith's official designation for the Minnesota game as to who will be the starting quarterback. That will come on Wednesday, whenever it is that you end up viewing your podcast. So, Dave, let's just talk about the game a little bit. Maybe not so much the quarterback. If you want to start with the quarterback, you can. But where do you feel like Atlanta went went wrong in this game? Well, I think there's a number of things you're going to have to look at. First thing I'd point to is special teams. Yeah. Uh, their inability to field kicks and or <laughs> field them where they're supposed to field yeah. them. And yeah. it wasn't just one player. So uh, whoever was in there, whether you catch the ball, because they changed out kick return guys, it was decision-making and where the ball was caught. Atlanta's average start position in the first half, this is what Desmond Ritter had to deal with, 12-yard mm-hmm. line. Yard line. Yeah. So 
you're backed up right away. That changes play call. That changes a whole bunch of things for the quarterback. I thought that Dez completed 8 of 12 in the game in the, in the first half there. He had the longest run of the game on a zone read play where he escaped to the outside. He did make the one mistake where he laid the ball on the ground that was stripped out that netted a touchdown uh, ultimately for Tennessee. But I thought he played pretty solidly in the first half, considering he was sacked five times and we had no no idea how to pick anybody up in the first half. So you made some changes in the second half from an adjustment standpoint, not only the quarterback change, but you changed some of the things up front to start getting some guys blocked. Just one sack in the second half, yep. and you started to roll a little bit. So make sure we take that into consideration. The first half and the inability to move the football and put points on the board is not all on the quarterback. In fact, you might even put a very minimal amount on the quarterback. It was a team concept. Special teams and fielding kicks and where we were located, being able to get people blocked in the pass game, and then making some plays when the ball was put in your, put in your area, then you, you kind of add all that together. But that wasn't very good in the first half. In the second half, they got a little bit of momentum going. So we always talk about offense and defense primarily, right? But that's why everybody that's played the game or coaches in the game talks about it being a three-phase game in special teams. And it's like it never really truly gets discussed unless it becomes an issue, right? You think about average starting field position at 12-yard line. That's one-plus first downs just to get back to the 25. (laughs) I'm not saying that every drive on a special team should start at the 25-yard line, but a lot of times after a kickoff or a touchback, you're going to be around the 20-25-yard line. So offense having to do extra effort just to get to where they would normally be starting. So those were some of the offensive issues. DJ, I'd go to the defense and comment on this if you might, but – Giving up explosive plays hasn't really been that big of an issue for the defense this year. Uh, One of the best defenses in the league statistically, DeAndre Hopkins, Nick Westbrook-Akine, both with big-time plays. Uh, Hopkins actually with a few of them in this game. And to me, that that was a big difference as well on that side of the ball. Huge difference. And uh, I think, obviously, the first one we have to – I mean, that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean – he literally almost ripped A.J. Terrell's Nate, uh, name tag off the back <laughs> of his jersey trying to pull him around. So that one, you know, you, you, you got to live and die with it. And you know what? I thought after that, I thought A.J. Terrell did a good job of trying to be physical with him. Yeah, I thought he was like, okay, if you're going to play this kind of game with me, guess what? I'm going to give it back to you. So I like that, that uh, he wasn't able to have that. But I think first part, you got to give Tennessee a little credit because they 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 schemed up the Falcons pretty well on a couple of those deep shot throws. You you, you catch Richie Grant on a double move, you know, in cover two with you know D Hop running down the middle. Uh, maybe plays it better. Maybe you know it, it was just a good job of him. Uh, you, you catch Jesse Bates. Uh, they run a you know corner post and nobody's on that backside because you've already brought the safety down. So there's so much grass they can play with it, and then, you know Levis throws it up and he goes and get it. I mean, the big plays you can't have. But I think you have to give them some credit because they actually made some some really some really big time play calls in those moments and caught us in spots where it's hard to cover a guy with that much space around you. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. But at the end of the day, and end of the day too, you, your defense gave you a chance at the end of the ball game. Mm-hmm. Your defense got to stop where you needed to give your offense a chance to go back down. Now, obviously, we didn't convert, but even with the pull and, and push and pull of that ball game, uh, your defense at the end still gave you a chance to win. So Well, and I, I would couple this, Shock, and I, I hear that a lot. The defense gave you an opportunity to win. The defense has been the featured part of this, and, and not trying to disagree with you here, but 
your offense gave you an opportunity to be in the game too mm -hmm. because two fourth quarter drives, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, the offense put those points on the board. Okay, mm -hmm. the defense didn't put those on the board. Now yep. they gave you, they got you the ball back and maybe kept the score in perspective. Maybe not. They gave up big plays. How about the answer score that Atlanta had after the long touchdown pass? Here comes uh, Atlanta right back down the field offensively. So, yeah, I agree with you. The defense gets to stop at the end of the game to provide you the play, the two minutes or whatever, a minute and a half you have left in the game, and you didn't execute enough to go win the game. But I thought it was complimentary football in the second mm -hmm. half. Yeah. I mean, defense serviced the offense, offense serviced the defense, offense picked up the defense after big plays, that they gave up big plays in the second half. So I thought it was the kind of complimentary football you're looking for, and it gave you an opportunity to win the game. So let's kind of dive into the, the quarterback situation a little bit. We're not going to get into the semantics as far as who's going to be the starter. We'll just talk about what happened in the game. Um, obviously, you mentioned the sacks in the first half made it difficult for Desmond Ritter. The field position made it difficult. So not necessarily having to battle some of that stuff in the second half. But when Taylor Heineke came in the game, it looked like they found some rhythm, DJ. He was getting the ball out of his hand for the most part pretty quickly. Um, showing some of his experience with the anticipation. And then also you had some guys that were making some pretty good plays. I mean, Drake London made a great catch. Kyle Pitts made a really good catch in the game. Um, Scotty Miller, obviously, with the touchdown reception. You had some guys make some really good catches, and that's part of the reason why the offense caught some momentum there in the second half. And I think the, the two guys that come to mind are guys that he probably has had the most rapport with being the guy that's the backup, and that's Scotty Miller. We saw Kadero Hodge have a big play uh, on the on the big post and, you know, break a couple tackles, Scotty Miller. And uh, I heard him talking with you, Arch, about, uh, you know, that's a play that they didn't even yeah. really uh, do well in practice. I think Taylor Heineken said they missed it like five <laughs> times right, or something in right, camp. Like, right. So it just, it just tells you in those moments, those guys still stepped up to the plate and made those, you know, those pretty good plays. And you're right. I thought the ball did come out faster. I thought the ball was concise. I thought it was on time. I thought he gave his guys an opportunity to make plays with it. And I think ultimately that's what it all came down to. And, you know, and then in the second half, you were able to get back to the run game and get back to some of the things that you were very successful at uh, throughout the year. And it helped you, I think, kind of cultivate that offense to play a little bit better. So give Heineke a lot of credit, yes, for coming in because that's tough to come in. Uh, and – you know, the one thing I think Falcons fans have to realize is for a backup, say you have a 10-play script in practice, the backup may get the last two or three plays, mm -hmm. and those are the two or three plays you, you, that you get to work on in practice. And you don't get the full game of the plays. And then in this scenario, Taylor Heineke might have even gotten that many because you got a young quarterback in Desmond Ritter who they want to get all the looks and all the checks and all the audibles, so they want him to get as many reps as possible. So for him to come in and operate within this offense, I thought was really good, and that's what they brought him in here for. And, you know, Arthur said it as much as of the game. This is why, you know, we paid him to come here for opportunities like this, for situations like this where, hey, if our quarterback does go down, we got a capable guy who can move this offense and give us a chance. Because by and large, he has been a backup throughout his career. So everything that he has done since he came into the NFL, aside from some time in Washington when he was the starter, is he has had to prepare himself as a backup. And to your point, DJ, they don't get a ton of reps. And when they go live in practice, two or three plays and nine on seven, seven on seven, yep. the team periods, even towards the end of the week, 
everything else has to come mentally, Dave. I thought that he did a pretty good job of taking all of those mental reps. Archer's and not just sure what it's like to be a backup. He doesn't know what that is. So. Dave, That's can you true. can you try to put your backup quarterback hat on? Yeah, I got uh, uh, backup quarterback on. I had a little taste of that. I actually came in off the bench for Steve Bartkowski when Bart went down uh, back in his uh, his last year with the Falcons. So yeah, coming in off the bench, there is a there is a clearness to what's going on when you come out there. You've been standing over on the sidelines. You're kind of seeing what's going on. You're hearing the coaches because you can hear the plays being called. Mm-hmm. So you're hearing some of the crosstalk as to what's going on. So you're probably going into the game. Now, you didn't get the reps in practice, but you're probably going to the game with a little bit more information than maybe the starters got based on what's happening in that current game. Now, obviously, from a, from a preparation standpoint and a game plan during the week, you didn't get all those reps, but you're probably getting up to speed pretty quickly Standing on the sidelines in this in this day and, and, and era of the game, but uh, Heineke has been in that position before. You guys mentioned it, and I thought he came in. He did a nice job. I thought he got he got in a good rhythm. The throw he makes to Scotty Miller is a is a blind throw, a trust throw. He throws the little the little uh, the, the kind of outside fade route. There was a bunch look. They did a really. It was a nice little wrinkle there as they had Kyle lined up inside and motioned Kyle outside of Scotty which kind of discombobulated to a certain extent or has made made the defenders hesitate. And when they came off the ball, Scotty came right off the rear end yeah. of Kyle and got in the corner and, um, and a really good throw by Taylor. So that was a cool little wrinkle that they sprinkled in. But he played well, kick-started the team. You're looking for spark, right? Yep, absolutely. And he provided that 12-21 passing, 175 yards and a touchdown. That was his 35th career touchdown pass. And I don't know if this is exact. I was kind of going off a TV copy, but it looked like there was 250 yards of offense in the second half when Heineke came in and uh, obviously 20 points put on the board with Taylor Heineke as the quarterback. The one thing I would say, you guys kind of briefly touched about it. Um, Will Levis, 238 yards and four touchdown passes. For a rookie making his first start, he dropped some dimes in that game, right? There was a couple of passes that he threw that were right on the money and some that were not. But, like, there was a couple of throws that I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive for the kid to be in there in his first start going up against a defense statistically that's been good all year. And he made some really good throws in the game. And – as a defense or as guys that cover Atlanta Falcons, you're hoping that a rookie doesn't have that type of performance mm. in his first start, but you got to give him a little credit for some of the plays. Yeah, that his two, his two best game. throws of the game were incomplete. Yeah. Yeah. He threw a deep, a deep route on the right side of the sideline. Richie Grant makes an unbelievable play at the safety spot. Yes. comes over, tips the ball. Otherwise it was in the bucket. It was in the bucket. Yeah. Falling backward. And he it looked like it. he was throwing it away. I was like, and, man. And then he throws a fade route to Burks down the same sideline, going the other direction. Akuda is all over him. He drops it right in on Burks, but Burks is out of bounds yes. on the play. <laughs> Those are the two best throws I thought he made in the game. They were both incomplete, and they were just dime throws. So you, to, just to back up what you're saying, the young quarterback played extremely well. For yeah, we did talk about the Falcons. The offense was going to face a defense and a defensive line that was pretty good, and that proved to be true. Jeffrey Simmons with two sacks, Danico Autry with a sack on that D-line, and then, of course, Harold Landry had a couple of sacks coming from that all outside linebacker position. That team can get after the quarterback. They've got some dudes that, that can rush the quarterback, and there were some breakdowns. Trying to take Heineken's neck. Off yeah, and and don't <laughs> yes. don't forget they came off they were coming off a bye. Vrabel now six and zero coming off bye. So give him and his staff credit uh, at Tennessee for for doing really good stuff during the bye week. But this was a team that had 15 sacks on the year coming in. They had six in this game, and I would argue that there was some stuff potentially 
that maybe caught Atlanta's offensive line a little bit off guard early on with some of the sacks because only one sack in the second half. Mm-hmm. So this staff, who I think is one of the best staffs I've been around, I've been doing these games 20 years, yeah. this is the best staff for halftime adjustments I've ever seen. Uh, they come out every time, and there's something they get going, and all of a sudden it starts clicking. They do a really good job in the th- coming out of halftime, and they did a really good job of making some adjustments to get Heineke protected yeah. to get to, to give him some opportunities to get the ball out. So I thought that, you know, a little kudos there. Uh, I know it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to or anything like that, but I thought they did a good job of trying to fix some things up front to give Heineke an opportunity. Yeah, and they'll have to continue to fix. Falcons given up 26 sacks this year. That's the uh, fourth most in the NFL, so that will need to be fixed as they move forward the rest of the season. So, guys, let's move forward. Let's talk about Minnesota this week. Um, you got a team that started 0-3. Since then, they are 4-1. and Their only loss in that stretch over the last five games has been 27-20 to against the Chiefs. However... However, uh, they had a quarterback that was playing at extremely high level, mm. uh, second in the league in passing yards behind Tua Tagovailoa, and tied for the lead in touchdown passes. Uh, Kirk Cousins, Achilles tendon tear out for the season. Um, so we don't know yet because the word <laughs> coming out of Minnesota is that they're still figuring things out. Mm-hmm. Jaron Hall came in and played the remainder of the game. They've got a couple other guys that are on the roster. Who knows whether or not Minnesota tries to make some kind of trade or last-minute pickup. So you don't know really what team you're going to get because it's not a Kirk Cousins-led team. There's no Kirk Cousins. There's no Justin Jefferson right now, but there's also no Grady Jarrett. So, Dave, kind of break down this matchup of what Atlanta is going to face when Minnesota comes to town. Well, they'll try to run it. They've got Alex Man- Alexander Madison running the football, Cam Akers, two guys that can run the football. Now, they have got a lot of yardage, and that's not really where their bread has been buttered. It's been with Cousins throwing the football to a, a really good core of guys. I mean, Jefferson's been out. You mentioned Jordan Addison's their first-round draft picks, yeah. big-time player. Played at Pitt, was the Blitnikoff Award winner, went to USC, had a big year last year. For the Trojans, T.J. Hawkinson is as good as tight end, pass catching tight end as you're gonna as you're gonna ask for. And on the defensive side, they got the leading sacker in the league, and Denell Hunter, who there was rumor that he was gonna yeah. be dealt. And I guess that at this time, when we're recording this, we're still under the window of, of the trade scenario. He could, I guess, ultimately end up someplace else. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Harrison Smith, one of the best safeties uh, over the last several years. So it's a group of players that are pretty good and. I know everybody wants to kind of throw certain teams on the trash heap and certain teams that not. I, I don't know why this team is being disrespected so much. They beat the 49ers two weeks ago. Um, they got another win this weekend, a really convincing style against Green Bay, really harassed the young quarterback in Green Bay, and that was in Green Bay, by the way. So I think this is a pretty solid football team. Can they figure out their quarterback situation? Some play action. Um, certainly Cousins love to go throw off play action, drop and throw certainly, but play action was a big part of what they do to take shots down the field. And defensively, they, you know, they're pretty stout uh, against the run game, which they always have been. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of a thumbnail from what I see. Well, you know, Jefferson goes down. Kind of, some, We just talked about Grady Jarrett, him going down. Jefferson goes down, and they're probably thinking the same thing in Minnesota. Where does our passing game go now? And the two guys that you mentioned, Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson, not since Jefferson has gone down, but on the season, those two guys have combined for 89 receptions and 10 receiving touchdowns, seven of those 10 coming from Jordan Addison. So they have figured out how to live past life right now with one of the best wide receivers in the National Football League not being able to help them. 
DJ, I'm not going to lead you into what you want to talk about here with Minnesota, but just this just seems to me, and it's so cliche when you talk about coaching and playing in the league, but this game seems to me like Atlanta needs to worry about themselves, yeah. more about what they need to worry about from Minnesota because what we talked about, the pass protection, the special teams, the explosive plays on defense, those are all things that Atlanta can fix that doesn't really relate to the opponent that will give them the best chance to win this game. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I, I think that's what came to mind to me the first when I started thinking about it and, you know, start going through, you know, things we're going to talk about today. And I started looking up, okay, how have the Falcons been early in ball games? You're talking about starting fast yeah. in ball games. I think that's a big deal, especially going to be at home. If you're playing against a, you know, rookie quarterback starting fast, puts a lot of pressure on their offense to start the game. In three out of our eight games, we scored zero points in the first quarter. In two games, you scored three points. And then in the other three games, you scored seven points. So you haven't really started fast mm -hmm. in any ball game this season. So you're talking about being able to put more pressure on opposing teams' offense by scoring points. I think that's a big deal. And obviously protecting the quarterback, which you just mentioned, four out of the eight games this year, we had four or more sacks in half of the games this season. That's that's something that's going to make any quarterback kind of skittish in the pocket or make him think a little bit more than he probably wants to that he has to get the football out. So I think just the thing that you just mentioned about these are internal things that you have to take care of before you worry about an opposing team. Now, obviously – they are a factor. You talk about Daniel Hunter, a guy who obviously can wreak havoc and change a ball game. There's so many other factors that go on into a ball game that the Falcons have to worry about. But I think first and foremost, it has to be how you start the ball game, how you protect your quarterback, and the obvious things of what are you doing on the back end, not giving up those big plays. Yep. And we saw last week when you give up those explosive plays, it gives a quarterback tons of confidence. Yeah. I mean, the the, the throw Arch talked about, he doesn't make that throw if he's not confident. He's not going to be backing off on his back leg thinking he can get that football in there if he already had the confidence throwing the football. So I think that's a big part of you find a way for other guys to kind of get to the quarterback and find ways to kind of give him the lack of confidence within the, the, inside the pocket I think is, is crucial. Well, and we didn't even talk about like turnover margin and how that's going to affect it. I've been harping on this, and we did lose the fumble. We got a fumble last week on the defensive side of the ball. Atlanta's still sitting tied for 30th in the NFL at minus 7. Minnesota's not a whole lot better. They're minus 5 on the season, just a couple of spots ahead of Atlanta. So they've had some issues as far as security and taking it away on defense. But, again, I just kind of go back to that. Like, that's one of the biggest areas that has to be fixed. And, yeah, ball security number one arch, but finding a way to take more possessions away on the defensive side of the ball. Like, it would be great for Atlanta and their confidence in moving forward because as they sit at 4-4, four and four, it's like you're kind of at midway point through the season. Mm. Ever since they went to 17 games, it's not truly midway. But – have that like 3-0 turnover margin game mm -hmm. where they steal three, they don't turn it over, they put points on the board, they score early. Like these are all things that I feel like could give them confidence moving forward for the rest of the season if they can get that to happen against Minnesota. Well, it's it's like finding that pot of gold, right? You don't expect it, and then, then all of a sudden it comes in bunches, yeah. right? And, and so we've had a couple games where we've got multiple turnovers. We've had games, many games, where we haven't gotten anything. So it's certainly something defense works on each and every week. You guys – We've all been in practices where there's turnover drills and all the kind of things they're trying to get done. And, and certainly the team on the other side is trying to make sure that they don't turn the football over. And so far, the other side has kind of won out. I kind of I want to – you guys have made a really good point in, in worrying about yourselves. Um, I do think that the 
you do that, but I think that you're going to get copycat scenarios when you give up as many sacks as you've given up. Yep. And 13 of those sacks came in two games. Now, you had six this last weekend and seven came in the Detroit game. So there have been some games where it's been a little bit cleaner mm-hmm. for the quarterback. But you can bet now that Minnesota is looking at the tape right now to, you know, where we're talking, and they're looking at some of the looks Tennessee used, and they feel like their group up front, especially with Denell Hunter, and if you look at the tape, Hunter's lined up over the center. He's lined up over the right tackle. He's lined up over the left tackle. They're moving him all over the place. Mm-hmm. So as much as you're worrying about Sam, you better find that <laughs> team. You better find him and make sure you account for him. And, and But the counts and who's coming and all that kind of stuff, certainly something you can worry about regardless of the, the faceless, nameless guys. But at some point, you're going to have to gear into some of the things that have caused you problems from a schematic standpoint. And a couple of teams have found some key things, and one of them found it this weekend. So you better get ready for that. Yeah, and maybe they'll get a dose of some double moves on the defensive side of mm-hmm. the ball too to see if Atlanta still you know, gets gets their feet set and they're biting on the short game, or are they gonna are they gonna start respecting the deep game because DeAndre Hopkins uh, ended Perfect up Perfect storm him. on that one too, by the yeah. way, right? Okay, yeah. so we go to a three-man pass rush. They went three, so not as much pressure, and so now they can run the double move. Get and the down. double move's not on a corner. Double move is on a safety yep. that was mm-hmm. 18 yards down the field, and it was in dip in over the top, and that's one you don't ever expect to give up a touchdown. On. Yeah. Yep. And it just so happened, perfect storm. We weren't rushing enough people to pressure him, and so he could he could wait on it. Yeah. Pump fake it, jump up and down, you know, <laughs> laugh at people, and then let it go. So <laughs> crazy. Uh, so that's the challenge that Atlanta faces this week with Minnesota. However, they are back at home. Arthur Smith talked about it. This You're always worried about this game, right? Yeah. This game is the most important. But this two-game stretch going into the bye is yeah. going to tell a lot about this team. Two games that are very winnable. Give them a chance to rest and recover a little bit in the bye week and then kind of pour it on for the rest of the season to make a push to get into the postseason. We can talk about that. They talk about one week at a time. <laughs> and the job is to get a victory over Minnesota. Rack, think, let me let me ask you a question, yeah, Rack. Yeah. No one would know more about this from a special teams perspective than you. This was not the best special teams performance mm-hmm. the Falcons have had. Give the fan out there an idea of that conversation that goes on with with the coordinators, whether it's Marquise Williams or some of his coaches that help coach that, and what you're talking to returners about, what's the general rule there? There's some things that maybe the fan can learn from. It's a great question you asked because when I was playing, we had a guy on our roster. He could do other things, but he was there because he was a great returner. It was Alan Rossum because the coaching staff had trust trust that he was going to catch the ball, number one, okay? Now, Rossi was great on making things happen. I mean, he's one of the best returners in the game as far as turning – getting returns and turning him into points the other way, whether it's kickoff return or on punt. But he was back there because he made great decisions catching the ball, first and foremost, right? That's how you can say and, – and I see this on the college circuit, and it frustrates me so bad when when returners won't catch the ball and they let it yeah. hit the ground, yeah. and all of a sudden you got an extra 20 yards given up. Like, do you realize how much – 20 yards is to recover for an offense, yeah. right? especially in the National Football League. So first and foremost, like on a punt return, you're generally taught. You put your heels on the 10-yard line. If you got to take a step back, let the ball drop, right, for the most part. Because if you field it inside the 10-yard line, you're probably going to get tackled inside the mm-hmm. 10-yard line. But if you let it drop inside the 10-yard line, there's a chance that ball kicks into the end zone. And if it doesn't, let's play the odds that they make a mistake trying to field the ball, right? But – very few times 
unless we're talking about like a Devin Hester or a Dante Hall, are you going to feel the ball inside the five, 10 to five and 10 yard line and make something miraculous out of it? Right. So it's about saving field position sometimes. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. If you're sitting at the 10 yard line and you see a ball diving down at the 19, if you can run up there and catch it, go catch it. Because that 19-yard line might be a whole lot better than the three. Sure. Yeah. Right? So those are the – like you talk about starting field position. That It's a huge difference. So those are the things that are being discussed. Fellas, we got to make a lot better decisions catching the football. Don't think about what you're going to do after you catch it. Let's think about where we're at on the field. Is the ball going over my head? If it is, let's play the odds that they can't make a play, and let's get a touchback. So let's start with much favor, better favorable field position. What's the general rule on a kickoff? Then we saw Keith Smith retreat with his back to the coverage unit and caught a ball at about the six-yard line that's coming down. Going CP's toward the sideline. He's going yeah toward, toward the, the sideline side and towards, yeah. his, towards his goal line. Yeah. What, what's the general rule? So there? that one, first of all, you this is a fullback, right? So it's an up back considered on kickoff return. He's not your primary returner, right? Sometimes CP can get away with that yeah. because he's one of the best returners in the game. But Keith Smith is not supposed to field that ball for two reasons. Number one, he's going backwards. Mm -hmm. Everybody else is running full speed toward him. Number two, that ball might have went out of bounds. So, again, let's play the odds that that ball either goes out of bounds or you continue to track it as it goes in the end zone and let's take a touchback. But we don't want somebody, no disrespect to Keith Smith, that doesn't have tremendous top-end speed running backwards, fielding a ball that might go out of bounds or in the end zone, and then trying to get back upfield. Yeah. Probably yeah. just a lapse in judgment on his behalf, maybe yeah. wanting to make a play. Maybe he thought that the ball was going to end up staying in the field of play and he I didn't want a turnover. Certainly, that's probably These are all the things yeah. that go through an athlete's mind this fast, right? Yeah, Think about how fast that decision has to be made. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was the wrong decision, right? Yeah. That's why they have guys back there that are returners that have seen things over and over and over, and they make better decisions in split seconds because they can tell the ball's going out of bounds or going through the end Here's zone. my last question about it. I, obviously, I know we're, you know, obviously this is a big part of the ball game, and my question is when, okay, you say you put your foot on the 10, and there are capable guys sometimes who back up, and they catch it on maybe the 7, the 6, or the 5, you know, because are they thinking – maybe these guys are going to catch it. They're going to make it worse on us. And I just say, hey, we're going to get it to six or seven, as opposed to letting it go and saying, okay, these guys will possibly catch the football where they're on the one or two-yard line. Are you talking about a punt or a kickoff punt, return? Punt, punt return, okay, yeah, punt. yeah. Yep. So a punt, it's going to be downed. So then here's my question back to you. How much worse is it if it's the seven or the three? It's, you're yeah. still with bad field position, right? Yeah. So why not give the chance – of that ball hitting the ground and caroming off to the opposite direction into the end zone, and they don't have a chance. Well, I just feel like we see that so much more often now. Like you catch it inside the 10. Well, I think there's, you know a, I mean? de there's a degree in, in – in, in, I don't know, Rack, you tell me, but there's a degree – if I'm a returner, eh, whoever I am, doesn't matter, and I, I have a sense of uh, – because the, they have an idea of the range of the guy. This guy was a really good kicker. Very good punter, one yes. Of the best. I think he had the number one – gross punting in the league and I think he was in the top five in, got a a, in net right yep. yeah. so averaging like 51 yards a kick so you know he's going to hammer some there is that old adage hey he's out kicked his coverage yep. right so there's the moment where if I'm on the 15 or 17 yard line and I'm retreating to go get one in my mind this dude's hammered one but he's out kicked his, his guys yeah. and if I've got playmaking ability which our guy does mm -hmm. whoever it is Hughes or Scotty Miller whoever it is back there 
that kind of enters your mind. And I think when you're tracking the ball, much like what happened to Keith Smith, yep. is you kind of lose where you're on the field a little bit because little you bit. haven't established that threshold, right, yep. where your heels are on the 10. Yep. I wonder if some of that went in. Well, went here's here's what I'll say, too. You make a good point about out-kicking your coverage, but the problem is, and, and we'll wrap it up here after this, but you got a guy that hammers it, but he kicks it 50-plus yards. If the ball is hanging in the air, like this dude has done his job where he's not only kicked it deep, but he's kicked it up in the air. It's like it's an internal clock as a returner, just like it is as a quarterback, mm -hmm. right? You got an internal clock. You can tell how it comes off of his foot. If he outkicks his coverage and the ball is going this way, you got a chance. Sooner, yeah. If he kicks a cannon and the ball is going like this, you don't have a chance. No. Mm -hmm. Because the longer it stays in the air, the more time yeah, these guys that are the fastest in the National Football League right. have to catch up to it. So if so you catch it and it's wet, you need to just stay there. Don't go anywhere. Don't try <laughs> yes. to catch it because it's re-entered the atmosphere. Yes. Okay. If it's right. gone into right. the uh, per, what is it? Re perspiration? No. Uh, condensation. Yeah. Condensation level. Might of the be atmosphere. some perspiration. There might be some perspiration. <laughs> there might be some sweat on it as well. All right. So maybe more special teams uh, X's and O's yeah. than you bargained sorry. for. Sorry about uh, that. I just had to get while, this guy's the guru on the special teams. I needed to get. I needed the nuts and bolts. Every on once that. in a while, we will give it to you. Yeah. Uh, we'll wrap things up here on the Falcons Audible presented by AT. T. Thanks so much for watching us again. We might have some things play out the rest of the week on some roster decisions. We will see as that stuff unfolds. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. However you get your podcast material, we'll be back next week. That's DJ Sockley, Dave Archer. I'm Derek Rackley. Take care, everybody. We'll see you.